welcome to Orchard Community Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. Well, here at Orchard Community Church, during the season, as we've referred to, our series has been called Messy Christmas, because Christmas and life can be pretty messy sometimes, can't they? Over the course of this series, I've mentioned several stories about messy Christmases that people have had, like a family who gathered all together on Christmas Day, and one of the members brought along their dog, who immediately began chasing the family cat through the house, knocking over the tree and the presents and the food and grandma, and trashing everything, leaving a huge mess. Or like another family who was enjoying Christmas evening, and unbeknownst to them, very late on Christmas night, one member of the family drank a little too much eggnog, and unknown to them, threw up on the presents in the tree. So they woke up in the morning to find that huge mess. Or another family that was just having a great time opening presents on Christmas morning until finally they got to one gift where a member of the family had given everybody DNA kits. And suddenly, several members of the family began to melt down, and it came out that somebody's sister was their mother. But I think I have recently come across a story that might top them all. Um, This is about a family that decided to rent a big cabin in the mountains to spend Christmas together, the whole extended family, about 25 of them in all. And they showed up early on Christmas Eve morning. They spent a wonderful day together that ended with a, a big meal together very late in the evening, and so after the meal, they put the kids down and, and uh, did their, their Santa chores, and everybody got into bed late uh, and, and quickly after dinner. And then in the middle of the night, it began. Slowly, one person at a time felt their tummy begin to rumble. And then soon that rumbling became a raging volcano. And by Christmas morning, it was the worst mess you could imagine, as all 25 members of the house were running at both ends with a horrendous case of food poisoning. Now that was bad enough, but the other problem was that this cabin only had three bathrooms for all 25 people, and so there were a number of other messy accidents. So if your Christmas is messy, you're not alone. Well, as we've moved through the Christmas season, we've talked about how it's really easy to fall prey to this idea that we should just be able to handle a million things in stride during this time of year, that we should be able to shop and decorate, entertain, and and somehow pull all of these things together flawlessly, that we should be able to create the picture-perfect Christmas moment that meets all of our hopes and dreams, when in reality, the truth is that for most of us, Christmas doesn't really end up looking that way at all. Something always seems to fall short, and often a lot of things do, and Christmas ends up being pretty messy. But you know what? A messy Christmas is a lot closer to what the actual first Christmas was like than those picture-perfect ideas that we have in our mind. Because the truth is that the first Christmas was pretty messy. There was an unwed mother. There was a father thinking of leaving. The child was born in a stable of all places. And the birth announcement came to some lowly shepherds out in the field. The first Christmas was messy because life is messy. You see, Christmas isn't about a picture-perfect moment. It's about a God who loves us so much that he meets us here in the mess. 
in Jesus, God entered the mess of our world, and he enters the mess of our lives with the promise of something better, the promise to be our Savior. Pray with me. Loving God, we pray that you'd speak with power tonight through this ancient story, thousands of years old. Uh, May your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, to our lives this moment about Jesus, about how he can meet us in this life, even in the messiest moments, and be our Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage tonight, which Lizzie read just a a little while ago, it begins in verses 1 and 2 with Luke, the author, explaining that about the time that Jesus was to be born, a census was called to be taken by the Roman uh, emperor, Caesar Augustus. Now, the Romans took a census about every 14 years, and they did this to get data on how many people there were to tax and how many men there were that they could conscript for military service. So they took this census, and for this reason, Mary and Joseph left Nazareth, which was where they lived, and they headed out for Bethlehem. Verses 5 tell us that that's where Joseph was from, so that's where they went for the, for the census. We also learn here that Joseph was a descendant of the great King David, who was also from Bethlehem. And these are important Uh, details for us to know about what's going to happen. Because thousands of years ago, the prophets had said that the Messiah, a special person that God would one day send, someone who would renew the, the faith of the people, someone who would deliver them from their sins, someone who would initiate God's kingdom here on earth, that he would be born in the line of David in Bethlehem. Now, verse 5 tells us that Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married. And this is where the story gets messy. Because in those days, marriages were arranged. That's not the messy part. Um, it, It might seem like it to us, but not to them. An agreement was made by the two families. They signed a contract, and the two were then pledged together, and they began to plan for their wedding day. So even though they were legally married, which is what happens when you're pledged, since their wedding day had not come, there was no way that Mary should have been pregnant yet. And this was considered deeply, deeply shameful in their culture. And it was for that reason that when we looked at the story of Joseph in the book of Matthew, uh, uh, was that this morning? Oh my gosh, that was this morning. It seemed like weeks ago. Yeah. That when we looked at that story, it said that Joseph was planning to divorce Mary when he found out that she was pregnant because he knew he wasn't the child's father, which is another messy part of the story. Um, pledged to be married, but not, no wedding day. Messy father thinking of leaving. Messy. But an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him that this child was from God and that this was how the prophets had said it would happen, and Joseph changed his plans. Now, Clearly, Joseph did not want to make an 80-mile trip while his wife was pregnant, which, by the way, they would have had to do by walking or uh, riding a donkey. I remember taking a trip to Lake Tahoe with Melinda when she was nine months pregnant, and she couldn't even tie her shoes, you know? I mean, that was not what you wanted to do, was take a big trip when your wife is in that kind of a state. And so this is messy, too, traveling in that way. Well, since he had to go, it seems as though Mary decided to go too, probably because they wanted to be together when the baby was born. But there may have been another reason that she decided to go. She didn't need to go. 
Women didn't need to go, just the man needed to go and be registered for the census. But there may have been another reason that she decided to go, even though travel at nine months, walking or riding a donkey, would have just been a horrendous thing to do. Many scholars think that Mary decided to go to escape her hometown, to escape the gossip about her having a baby before her wedding day, and the innuendo that maybe, just maybe, Joseph wasn't the father. This was all a terrible, scandalous mess in that time. Well, with verse 6, we find out that they're headed to Bethlehem, and the time came, they make it to Bethlehem, and the time came for Mary to give birth. And verse 7 tells us that when Jesus was born, they placed him in a manger. And as you know, a manger is a feeding trough for animals, and it's this detail that makes it clear that Jesus was born in a stable because it says there was no room available for them, no guest room available for them. Now, I know the traditional translation says there was no room for them in the inn. First thing is there weren't a lot of inns back then. That wasn't common. And the Greek word that... Um, that is used here, it's not the typical word for inn. It's a word that more often referred to the kind of guest rooms that families typically had in their homes for extended family and friends who would come to visit. So Joseph was from Bethlehem, and he probably went to the home of his extended family there and asked to stay in their guest room, but some other member of the family who was also there for the census probably already had the room. And so it was that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, was born in a stable and placed in a manger. And there is no way that this is what Joseph or Mary had hoped for. I'm sure Joseph wanted a better place for his baby to be born, for his family to stay. I can't imagine how Mary felt going into labor in a smelly, messy place where animals were kept. And then there's the fact in verse 7 you might even miss it, but it says that Mary's the one who wrapped the baby in cloths after she gave birth. Usually someone else would do that. And it means that there was no one else there. They were alone in a stinky stable giving birth to their firstborn child. And it was a total mess. And we might wonder why, why in the world would God let Jesus be born in this way? And I think the reason is, just as we've stated, that it's because our lives can be messy too. I think God wanted to show us that he's not afraid to touch this world, this messy world, and our messy lives. Jesus isn't scared off by that. And a lot of people think that he is. And you'll hear people say, oh, God wouldn't want someone like me. I couldn't go to church. You don't know the things that I've done. Got a family member that says, if I ever went to church, I'd burst into flames. Because of this thought that somehow my life is too messy. That God couldn't handle that. And I think this is God's way of saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, I can handle the mess of your world and I can handle the mess of your lives and I'm ready to, whatever, and wherever you are ready to meet me. Now with verses 8 and 9, Luke continues, and he tells how some angels appeared to the shepherds tending their flocks. Um, in verses uh, 10 and 11, the angels make this amazing statement. They say um, to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you great news uh, 
that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of Savior, a town of David, a Savior has been born, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. It's really interesting that the angel calls Jesus the Lord and Savior. The words of the angel make it clear for one thing, that Jesus is the Messiah, this long-awaited person that the prophets had said God would one day send. It's, it's happening. The one who is going to renew our faith is here. It's happening. The one who's going to deliver us from sin is here. It's happening. The one who is going to initiate God's kingdom here on earth is here. It's changing. Something's happening. But there was also a huge, huge irony here. Because a lot of the language that the angel uses here, especially the title Lord and Savior, well, those were titles for Caesar Augustus the Roman emperor. And it's like the angel is saying, I'm here to announce to you that the real Lord and the real Savior has been born, and it's not Caesar Augustus. It's Jesus Christ who's born this day. But this was messy to do this because Caesar Augustus was kind of an egomaniac. He was not the kind of guy that took lightly to other people carrying on being called a king by somebody. It was dangerous. And then all of a sudden, the sky is filled with the angels and the heavenly host singing glory to God in the highest. And it's this fantastic scene. And we should think about that for a moment. It's proclaimed as shepherds. We kind of like shepherds, don't we? We kind of imagine that they're, you know, animal lovers, get to camp out in the countryside. We think kind of highly of them. Jesus called himself the good shepherd after all. But it's important for us to remember that in Jewish culture at that time, shepherds were the lowest of the low. They were out in the fields doing God knows what. They weren't with their families. They didn't go to synagogue. They, they, They messed with animals, which made them unclean. There were so many things in Jewish culture that made shepherds be considered just the lowliest low of the low. And yet, These are the people that God chooses, first of all, to proclaim the birth of his son to. It wasn't a very impressive announcement, if you think about it. And that's kind of messy. In fact, if you were going to write a made-up story to try to convince people to, to, to have faith in your God, this is not the story you would write. It's too messy. And again, we might wonder why. Why shepherds? And again, I think this is part of God's message to us about Jesus. I think God wanted to make it clear that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus didn't come just for the important people or the special people or the super spiritual people. Jesus came for everyone, for ordinary people with messy lives like you and me. And it's at this point I want us to look at The second scripture I have for tonight, it's just one verse. It's from the book of 1 Timothy. It's 1 Timothy 1.15. And it says this. It says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And here the Apostle Paul is talking about the mess of our lives and I want you to notice that he, he talks about the mess of our lives, and he doesn't do it by pointing the finger at us. 
He does it by pointing the finger at himself. And he says, I know that your lives are messy because my life is messy. Because to be human is to be imperfect. To be human is to sin. And he isn't saying this to downgrade us. His goal is not to berate us. He wants us to know that real people with messy lives have hope. And that hope is Jesus. Because in Jesus, God himself came into this world in response to our mess. God didn't respond with anger. God didn't respond by rejecting us. No, God responded by laying down his own life for us. Jesus came and lived the life that you and I are supposed to live, the good life, the right life that we're supposed to live, and we don't. And then Jesus took that good and right life, and he offered it on the cross in place of our lives, our sinful and messy lives. And when he did that, he put right the wrong of our sins, and he saved us from the mess, bringing us God's grace and love and peace and hope. And we should think about what this means, this idea that God himself in the person of Jesus came and did this because it means that God humbled himself to an amazing degree so that he would be able to enter our world to become one of us as a baby. It's about the lengths that God has gone to to reach us because of his great love for us. Think about what it must have been like for the Lord God Almighty to lay aside his majesty and his power and to be born as a helpless baby. Author Philip Yancey puts it this way. He said, how did Christmas Day feel to God? Imagine that. Imagine becoming a baby again giving up language and muscle coordination and the ability to eat solid food and to control your own bladder. Or imagine yourself becoming a sea slug. That analogy is probably closer. On that day in Bethlehem, the maker of all took the form of a helpless, dependent newborn. And he did it for us. He entered the mess for us. So with verses 15 and 16, the shepherds, they go away looking for Jesus and they find him. Just as the angel had said, lying in a manger. And in verses 17 through 19, they tell Mary, they tell Joseph. It says they tell anyone who would listen to what they had to say. They told him about Jesus' birth and it says everybody was amazed. But then we come to the last story, the last line of the passage, verse 20, and it's so important. It says that the shepherds went home glorifying and praising God. They went home glorifying and praising God because that, that first Christmas, that was a powerful experience for them. They, they met Jesus and it was a power, Christmas was a powerful spiritual experience for them. And at that first Christmas, there were no brilliantly decorated trees, no masterfully decorated uh, wrapped presents. There was no fancy dinner party. There was not the picture-perfect Christmas moment where the whole family actually shows up and gets along and does what they're supposed to do and on a yada yada, all that stuff. I mean, there was none of all of that stuff that we think that, that we need in order to have the perfect Christmas. 
Nope, it was messy. And yet it was powerful. And I believe that God wants Christmas to be powerful for us too. Because if we can look past the lights and the presents and the mistletoe and maybe past the mess that our Christmas is or maybe the mess that our life is right now, if we can look past all of those things to the true meaning of this ancient story, there is something deep and powerful in it for us there. There is a God who wants to know you who wants to grow you, who wants to heal you, who wants to break the chains of all the things that bind you, who wants to drive the darkness, the fear, the anxiety, the depression from your heart. He wants to replace those things with hope. A God who wants to change you and change your life for the better. And that is the very reason that Jesus was born. In Jesus, God entered the mess of our world to become one of us so that he might reach us. And in the end, he laid down his life to do just that. Because he loves us. Because he loves you. Pastor John Ortberg tells the story of Father Damien, who was a priest who became famous for serving those with leprosy. And he writes this, Father Damien moved to Kilauea, a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii that served as a leper colony. For 16 years, he lived in their midst. He learned to speak their language. He tended their wounds, embraced their bodies when no one else would touch them, preached to their hearts, to people who otherwise had been left alone. He constructed homes, organized schools, bands, and choirs. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. Slowly, it is said that Kilauea became a place to live rather than just a place to go to die. And for that, they said Father Damien offered hope. Father Damien also wasn't careful about the way that he lived. He didn't keep his distance from these people with leprosy, a disease at the time which was incurable and contagious. He didn't separate himself. He dipped his fingers into the poi bowl along with them. He shared his pipe. He didn't shy away from bandaging open sores. He got close, and for that, they loved him. And then one day, Father Damien stood up to preach a sermon And he said two words that shocked everyone. He began that sermon by saying, we lepers. You see, he wasn't just helping them anymore. Now he was one of them. From that day forward, he wasn't just on their island. He was in their skin. First he had chosen to live as they lived, and now he would die as they died. Now They were in it together. You see, on Christmas Day, God came to earth as a baby in a manger. At that point, God wasn't just helping us anymore. No, he was one of us. Now he was in our skin. Now he was here, and we were in the mess together. The first Christmas was messy because life is messy. Christmas is not about a picture-perfect moment. It's about a God who meets us in the mess 
because he loves us. It's about a God who is not afraid to get his hands dirty to help us by becoming one of us, by touching our lives, by walking alongside us, and even the, in the end, by laying down his life for us. Amen. And Merry Christmas.